Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 64 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's been another changeable weather week and it's been tricky getting out onto the bees. Today, I'm tackling some more monthly questions from our patrons while the rain falls heavily outside. Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Well, it's been an eventful week despite the weather. I collected more swarms and promptly lost the biggest one, which was really disappointing. I posted a picture of it on Twitter and Instagram, and someone commented I would need a triple nuke to fit it all in. Well, I only had a single nuke box on board the truck. So they went into that overnight, and when I returned the following morning, they'd decided that they didn't like their new location and had disappeared, completely absconded. What was really sad was there was one single drone left behind wandering around on the floor of the nuke, trying to work out where the party had disappeared to. It reminded me, actually, of my teenage years, but that's another story entirely for a different podcast. Moving on to a slightly different topic, it's been a tricky week for inspecting cooler temperatures again and some quite rainy days. Interestingly, when I have been out to check on the bees, and I have to say I've not looked in many colonies this week, I've seen quite a few queen cells that have been torn down. I suspect this is probably down to the weather and the bees not wanting to put effort and resources into queen cells during the colder weather. But how do they know what the long-range forecast is going to be? It's not like they have the internet or access to the Met Office, is it? Maybe it's down to air pressure or something. I really don't know. If anyone out there does understand how this happens, then please do get in touch. To take my mind off such complex thoughts, I've just spent an hour or so at the workshop making up some clearer boards with Pete. Another job done, so at least the time isn't wasted and there, there are always things to do over at the workshop. This week is my questions and answers week. For those of you listening for the first time, it's where supporters from my Patreon page can post questions to me that they have maybe encountered in their beekeeping endeavours, and I'll do my best to give an answer. If you're listening via Patreon, my thanks for your continued support, and for those of you listening to the later release of the podcast, don't miss out on the latest podcast by simply signing up over on my Patreon page. I'll, of course, leave a link in the podcast notes for you. So let's get started with this week's burning issues. First up is Paul Andrews, who asks, Hi Stuart, how do you get the bees to read the books? This year has been manic, all going well until three weeks ago when I saw swarm preparations. I had given space and already split two hives. I moved the best queen cells into new nukes along with brood and left the queen behind in the brood box. Phew, all done and did the same in the rest of the hives. The next week, all again. I cut cells out placing in mating nukes I'd just bought after setting them up with bees. Then on Sunday, oh no, queen's gone and no eggs. Set up boxes with the best remaining cells and shut them up again. All hives had space in brood and in supers and queen was only a year or two old. Any ideas, Paul? Hi Paul, thanks very much for your question. And to be honest, your tale of swarming colonies is not a solitary incident and I'm sure many beekeepers will have experienced exactly the same issues. I like that you took action and I'm sure you'll get some really nice queens from the splits that you've made so not everything is lost. Your question seems to be asking having split the colony and reduced its size why did the queen still swarm? Well I think the one thing 
that you don't mention, and I'm making an educated guess here, is that you left the queen in the original hive with the flying bees and some brood. And that, I believe, is the problem. By leaving the queen with the flying bees and brood, albeit a reduced number, you're still giving them a chance to swarm. I would suggest that if it happens again, removing the queen and leaving a single queen cell with the flying bees would be a more controlled way of splitting them. Reduce the number of queen cells to just one, and the flying bees can't swarm. You can still split nukes from the colony with queen cells if you're looking to increase or reproduce queens, but I would remove the queen and let her continue in a nuke, building up another colony as if she had swarmed. Next up is a question from Mrs Chapman, who says, Hi Stuart, do you reuse waste wax, and if so, what device do you use for doing so? I'm hoping it's a more pocket-friendly one, than the one I've seen for £400. Well, hi, Mrs C, and thanks for the question. Absolutely, yes, I reuse waste wax, and every beekeeper should too. Every little bit of waste, brace comb, damaged frames, old combs, wax cappings, frame cutouts, wild bee cutouts, everything. And the good news is, it's not expensive to sort out, and at the very least, you can exchange the saved wax for new foundation, saving you money. I tend to accumulate quite a lot of waste wax as I go through the beekeeping year and I collect it all, saving it in a bee-proof bucket until I have enough to heat up and melt it all down. This could be just a small bucket from one colony over an entire season or quite a few buckets from more colonies, but the process is broadly the same. Firstly, the safety warning. Never, never, never heat wax with a direct heat source. Absolutely never. What I mean by this is always put the wax in a bain-marie or an old pan with water in it to prevent the wax from overheating and causing a fire. I have a setup where I can put wax cappings or very new clean wax into a double pan with water boiling in the bottom pan and the wax in the top pan. With older darker wax I often put the wax directly into a large pan of hot water and let it melt down before straining it into containers and allowing it to cool. There are of course lots of other ways to render down beeswax. You could use a solar wax melter but these can be expensive if you're unable to make your own and of course there are custom wax melters that as you rightly point out can cost a small fortune. They're worth getting if you have a lot of wax to render but for small quantities I favour the two pans method. I've even rendered wax in a large Pyrex bowl in the microwave. It was old wax, sat in a couple of inches of water. It smelt pretty awful, to be honest, and I was told I wouldn't be doing that again, at least not in the kitchen. And if you do use the microwave, remember to remove any wires from wax cut out from frames, or sparks will fly, possibly in more ways than one. I hope that helps. I've produced a few videos showing wax rendering, and once we get to the end of the season, I'll produce another kind of roundup of the various methods that I've used over the years, which should hopefully help everyone. Next up is Peter Giles, and Peter asks a couple of questions. Firstly, morning Stuart, when a colony exits and clusters on the hive front before swarming off, what's the best strategy? Follow them, or try and collect them in a box nuke at the hive site? If the latter, do you brush them in and with what? That's a great question, Peter. It's that moment just before the swarm that you're talking about, just at that tipping point. I've tried collecting the cluster on the front of a hive, as you suggest, only to find the queen isn't in there with them, 
and they swarm anyway. So I think it's all about timing. If you're lucky enough, you can catch the queen in that little clump on the front of the hive, but very often you're as likely going to miss her and they'll still swarm. I often arrive at an apiary and watch a swarm evacuate from a hive and disappear over the hedge, never to be seen again. Luckily, last week, Pete, Steph and I watched a swarm do just that, only they settled on a bush within the apiary and we were able to shake them off and into a nuke. We captured it all on a short video and posted it to Patreon last week, so take a look at that. I do hate losing swarms and will always follow them if I see them bursting out of a hive because they normally don't go very far to start with and that's the point a beekeeper can get lucky. If you watch them, they'll make a heck of a cloud in the sky before settling down in a bush or hanging from a branch waiting to check that everyone's present. This gives you a chance to grab them before they go forever so I would wait and see where they settle and then grab them. Peter's second question is a straightforward question too. Queen cells found in super frames with the queen excluder in place. What's going on? Well, how many times have I seen this one? It's happened to me on numerous occasions. You're all set to inspect. Expectations are high. Several supers in place and a honey crop growing. Then you open the brood box to find no eggs or young larvae. The immediate temptation is to presume that they've swarmed, but then you remember you heard on a podcast that the queen might be up in the super, and when you look, you find all the super frames full of brood and eggs, and not much honey to extract. It's at this point I normally curse quite loudly in the apiary, provided I'm alone of course. This happens for several reasons, and the most likely, I have to say, is beekeeper error. When you start an inspection, you break down the boxes and have a super or two on top of the box, and then you you remove the queen excluder and inadvertently lean it against the super, not the brood box. You haven't spotted the queen on the underside of the queen excluder, and she hurries up the side of the box and into the safety of the supers. When you've finished your inspection, you've seen eggs in the brood box, so assume that all is well, replace the queen excluder onto the brood box, and replace the supers above thus trapping the queen and the supers. Let's hope you haven't also waxed all of the super frames with drone foundation, because that just rubs salt into an already open wound. Guess who's talking from experience here? The other option is that in vigorously cleaning the queen excluder by scraping off all the wax and propolis, you accidentally catch one of the wires and bend it slightly, making a gap that the queen can squeeze through. And again, believe me when I say it's easy to do and difficult to spot. And how on earth does the Queen manage to find that tiny little gap? I really don't know, but she does anyway. All that can be done is to chase the Queen back into the brood box and wait for the brood to emerge from the supers. Just accept that you're going to have extra bees coming out of the super frames. If it happens to be drone brood, then I'd use it as a mechanical varroa trap and take it away, reminding myself to learn from my mistake. Next up is Andrei Raffi. I hope I've pronounced that right, Andre. Apologies if I've got it wrong. Uh, But he asks, Hi Stuart, would you have any advice on using mini mating nukes in the current UK weather, which is not too bee friendly? I have no success with mini mating nukes and limited success with two frame splits. Is it too early now that the weather has turned worse? Well, it's a great question and many of you will already know that I have always had a love-hate relationship with mini-mating nukes. I think they're a fantastic idea that, on the whole, I just can't get to grips with. 
The bees don't pull the wax as I want. The bees come in to lay so quickly they catch me by surprise. They fill the box with what little brood they can and then abscond or they get attacked by wasps and are killed. My preferred method is full-sized nukes, but now I have the BS Honey 2-in-1 nukes, I find these perfect for raising new queens and colonies. They're excellent three-frame nukes that give you plenty of time and space. The issue with the mini mating nukes is you have to be all over them all of the time. They just can't be left to themselves. Whereas the three-frame nukes give the time and space for the small colony to grow before needing attention. And that suits me perfectly. I would definitely recommend three-frame nukes regardless of whose nukes you use or if you make them yourself. As far as the weather is concerned, we wait to see. I carried out several splits a couple of weeks ago and I've not been back into them because the weather has been so terrible. If you haven't done any splits, I would give it until the end of the week and then I think the weather is due to warm up again. Next up is uh, Christopher Hindle. Hi, Christopher. And Christopher asks, if one captures a swarm in the locality of a home apiary that may or may not have come from that apiary, is it best to hive at least three kilometres from the home apiary and leave for a month or so before moving back to the home apiary? Or will the bees just orientate to their new permanent home wherever that may be? Hi, Christopher. That's a great question. And I'm pleased to say the good thing is with swarms is that you can grab them and put them down anywhere in your apiary, provided they haven't started to build comb, really. So if you happen to collect a swarm of your own bees in your own apiary, you can shake them into a box or into a nuke and let them settle for the evening to collect all of the flying bees. Then wrap them up and move them to where you want them before shaking them into a new hive or up a ramp into a new hive, and they will stay put. I say they will stay put, most of the time they'll stay put. It's always a great sight to watch them run up a board, uh, but at the moment I just tend to dump them straight into the top of a hive and close them up and let them get on with it. So to answer your question, yes, you can collect a swarm from your own apiary and recite them in that apiary as long as they're hanging from a tree or in a bush and just trying to gather themselves together. My own preference is to move them out to a separate apiary, but that's just something that I do as a matter of course. Richard Seeger has a great question about pollen harvesting and asks, Hi Stuart, hope your season is going well. I'd like to know how you process pollen after harvesting from the hive and freezing. I shall be harvesting pollen for the first time this year, but would like to know how to process it properly. Many thanks and all the best. Well, hi Richard and thanks for the question. With pollen, you have two options really, as you say, freezing it or alternatively drying it. I've done both to good effect, so it really depends what you want to do with the pollen afterwards. If you've put hydrated pollen straight into a jar, it would go mouldy fairly quickly, so drying it works really well. You can do this on a very small scale in a domestic oven. The best types are the ones that have a defrost setting. Spread the pollen out on a baking sheet lined with paper towel and leave it on its lowest setting. Overnight is normally sufficient and that reduces the water content to the point that it doesn't subsequently go mouldy. Personally, when I'm freezing it, I spread it out again on an oven tray and freeze it separately and then I pour the frozen pollen into resealable bags 
label it with the date and place of collection, and if I'm using it to feed back to my bees, I make sure I note the hive that it was collected from too. And it's as simple as that. It's, it's not particularly difficult. You just need to have a bit of space in your freezer. Next up is a question from Ian Haslam. Hi Stuart, if a hive looked likely to swarm, but intervention restricted by a turn to windy wet below 12 degrees C weather, would they delay or tear down queen cells, or do we manipulate regardless? Well, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, I've been seeing queen cells that have been torn down, and I suspect it's colonies attempting to swarm, but choosing to postpone for whatever reason. I think the weather, but there may be other factors at work too. Once I get into the splits I carried out a couple of weeks ago, I'll let you know how successful they've been. And that might answer the question as to whether to postpone manipulations and splits or to carry on regardless. For me, if I'm actually carrying out an inspection and I see queen cells, then I would generally tend to act on them regardless. Jimmy Hoffler is up next and Jimmy asks, I'm following your earlier video showing how to split one hive into two nukes and a parent colony. My problem is I have an unmarked queen from last year and I'm finding it very difficult to spot her at any of my inspections. She's also unclipped. Is there any foolproof way of finding queens or does it just come with experience? Well, hi, Jimmy. I swear those queens have a Klingon style cloaking device. One minute they're so easy to spot and the next they've disappeared. Experience helps, but not always. Marking your queens will certainly help, and I would recommend doing this as soon as you can spot her. Have everything to hand, and if you need to practice first, try it on some drones, or use one of those queen marking cages until you become confident at handling the queens. If after all this you still struggle, just make sure you're seeing eggs, and that will help confirm that she's still there. Of course, you don't need to see the queen every time, but when you're trying to perform a particular technique, that involves moving the queen, it's essential. If you really get stuck, you can reduce the number of bees in the brood box by moving the hive to a different location in the apiary and putting a nuke box with a frame of brood in at the position of the old hive. All of the flying bees will leave the old hive and fly back to that nuke box, thus reducing the number of bees in the original brood box, and that makes it easier to spot the queen. Anne Elvidge also has a similar question regarding spotting the queen, so I'll incorporate Anne's question here too. Anne says, I've just bought a book called Queen Spotting, which I thought would give me good practice as I also find it impossible to find the queen. But although it is interesting, I have become better at finding her in pictures. It is a different matter when I have a frame covered with masses of moving bees. I would appreciate any tips as not finding her does restrict what I can do. So, to follow on from Jimmy's question, Anne, it can be tricky, and it's always the time when you really need to find her that she goes all transparent on you. So, a couple of tricks in addition to what I've already suggested for Jimmy. When you take out the frame from the brood box, have a quick glance down onto the face of the frame that you've left in the brood box, as she might be wandering around on that, and you might spot her. As you hold the frame by the lugs with the frame hanging down, look down the face of the frame from above the top bar. The queen sometimes holds herself slightly further away from the frame than the workers, and she can be spotted that way. Sometimes a gentle shake will dislodge workers, but the queen will still cling to the frame. I don't do this very often, but it has worked in the past. And when I'm scanning for the queen, I always start looking around the edge of the frame first, and then work inwards in a circular motion. 
she'll sometimes be hidden beneath workers. So a gentle touch with your fingertips will help move those workers away and sometimes reveal her. Finally, she's most likely to be found on a frame where there are recently laid eggs, with space still for more eggs to be laid. It stands to reason that she would continue to lay in that frame, so have a thorough look on that frame before putting it back into the brood box. And don't forget that she'll very often wander to the very outside frame. So always check the very first frame that you remove and also check the very last frame carefully as well. And I hope that helps you with spotting your queen. And finally, Steve Golpin asks, when replacing supers after extraction, how long would you give the bees to clean? As you mentioned before, they may start using the supers for storage again. Well, hi, Steve. It's a tricky one, really, as it really depends on the time of year and the prevailing conditions. However, with warm weather and plenty of bees, I would say 48 hours is more than enough time for them, really. I always put the supers above the crime board, which hopefully gives some separation between the bees and the empty supers, encouraging them to take the residual honey down beneath the crime board. A lot of beekeepers leave their wet supers out in the apiary for all of the colonies to rob out, but I'm not in favour of that at all. The potential for encouraging robbing is only surpassed by the greater potential for spreading diseases. It's just something that I wouldn't do. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks very much for all of those questions. And to everyone listening, thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. And please do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Beekeeping Short and Sweet